Well, welcome to a Monday morning message, Mythbusters edition. I always liked that show very much and have watched the reruns several times. And I'm aware that they brought back uh, an iteration of it on Motor Trend with car things. And I've, I've seen one of them and it was okay. But uh, that original group was just amazing, wasn't it? We want to do a Mythbusters Bible edition. And we can't do them all in one, but this should at least whet your appetite for more that you might find down the road. For example, who told you about the missing day? Several times when I was growing up, uh, there would be an article in our bulletin or a preacher or somebody uh, at a youth rally would talk to us about how NASA scientists had done this amazing work and found, however, that there was a missing day and that they just couldn't make it work. All their math showed that there should be a day, but we were one day short. And then they would open up the Bibles and show where Joshua prayed and God made the sun stand still. And they would say, see, it's in the Bible. And I was probably nine or 10 at that time. And all around me, the adults, and everybody was going, wow. And I was already thinking, they don't know how many days there were. Nobody knows how many days they were. Bishop Usser, uh, notwithstanding, we don't know the exact moment of creation. How did they count days going back? How would NASA pull off such a stunt? You know, uh, Bishop Usher at least did it by uh, a piece of pencil and <laughs> uh, maybe a quill, but you know, doing math uh, and, and reading genealogies. And he got it terribly wrong, not understanding how the Bible was written. But still, uh, at least he was trying to figure out something through literature. What was NASA using? Well, the answer was nothing. It was a complete myth and it made Christians look silly. And the thing is, oh, 50 plus years later, I still get people bring that up to me. And they're going, did you know that NASA? And I'm going, or how about this one? That when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go through heaven. All my young life, I was told that there were gates for camels to come in. But they, and if you went, you would see them to this day in the walls of Jerusalem. But these walls were, were short. So to get a camel in, it would have to get down on its knees and then be brought gently through. And the application was that a rich man could go to heaven, <coughs> sorry, but only if he was on his knees. There has never been found a short gate that camels used. There is not one mention in history of having to get a camel down on its knees or a gate that was used for such purposes. Not until the 1400s. And then it did not come from Christians directly, but from Jewish tales told by rabbis in the Middle Ages, the 1400s. <clears throat> How about this one? Heard it many times that the, um, the Holy of Holies was so sacred that the high priest could only go in one time a year. So far, so good. But what would happen 
if the priest died in there because nobody else is allowed in there. So how in the world, what, what, what would you do next? And that became a myth in the 1300s by a rabbi named David Kimji, uh, who wrote that they would tie a rope around the leg of one of the, uh, the high priests so that he went in and if they, I guess if they heard a uh, and the thud, they'd start pulling on the rope and pull out the dead high priest. That way next year, the new high priest could go in. Presumably somebody with a better coronary situation. Complete myth. Never is in scripture, never is in the first 1300 years of the church or the Jews after uh, Jesus's ascension. Uh, how about the um, we three kings of Orient? No, they weren't. They, they just weren't. There's no mention of three kings. We often think three wise men because there were three gifts, but in, you did not travel in that area without quite a large group. You needed group for food, for water, and for protection in those vast wastelands. So the wise men would have come with quite a crew, but there weren't just three. How about this one? Uh, I, I preached this. I believed it because I was told it by college professors. And so I preached it in my early days that the Bible is so accurately passed down to us that scribes took it so seriously that they would wash their clothes and wash their bodies before they started their writing of the day. And that if they came upon the name of Jehovah uh, or one of the other names, uh, for example, Yahweh uh, is just a mishmash of uh, the vowels out of Adonai shoved into the Tetragrammaton uh, and uh, that we now call Jehovah or Yahweh, the same name, or Adonai, or El Elyon, or any of those names, that they had to take up a new quill, they had to go wash again, put on new clothes, and come back and write that name. And then if that name appeared again a few words later, they had to go do it all over again. And that just shows you their care, their diligence, and their way of putting all of this together uh, super, super, super accurately. Problem is, zero history to this. We can find no indication anybody ever did this, not just across all manuscript copiers, any copier. It is a complete myth made up so that we would look upon our Bibles as this, oh, this thing that dropped down from heaven and is true, truly untouched by human hands, merely copying the words of God with no errors or omissions. It's not true. Or how about this one? This one's really going to get some of you going. What about Gehenna being in the eternally burning garbage pit outside of Jerusalem? And so whenever Jesus talks about those who sin, they're tossed into Gehenna. What he means is the eternity of hell because the fire never goes out and they will always burn just like the always burning garbage pits. That was first mentioned about 1200 AD. It was made up. Gehenna, by the way, is one of the words that is translated hell. 
And those that really push the idea of an eternal torture pit where those that do not know God or obey his commands are tossed into it where trillions of years later they will still be on fire and screaming in pain. They got, they grabbed hold of this idea that a Jewish rabbi came up with in the 1200s and brought it wholesale right into the Christian church. <clears throat> and, and for obvious reasons, it, it gives great control to those who are heading up the church at any given time. At that time in Europe, it'd be the Roman Catholics in Eastern Europe and bits of Asia had been the Eastern Orthodox, they grabbed it. But the problem is there is no indication in literature or in archeology span that such a place ever existed. And archeologists can find a rubbish pit, especially an eternally burning one. Obviously it's not eternal because it's still not burning, but maybe I quibble. Going back, there's just not evidence for this. In fact, it's more evidence that uh, for the annihilationists that would say those people, they are thrown out and the fire consumes them. Uh, there's, they're not there anymore. Just like burning does in a rubbish pit. There are so many and we could do so many more. Some of these are rooted in this um, holy desire to tell tales to get people to be closer to God. And people have done that with things such as this, but they've also done it with preacher stories through all, all history. Preacher will say, I was sitting on the, on the airplane and this person beside me had a tear in their eye. And so I started talking to them about Jesus and they left their life of crime as a nar narco trafficker or whatever. I, I have no doubt that a lot of preachers talk to people on airplanes and they may have even changed some lives, but you get the point. Preacher stories can sometimes push the bounds of credulity. Well, people wrote whole books about the life of Jesus, that he was so exceptionally pure and wonderful as a child, and they made them up as lost gospels, or they stuck names on them, like Peter and Barnabas, when Peter and Barnabas wrote them. Philip Jenkins has a great book on all of this, by the way. Just look up Philip Jenkins. Anything he wrote is worth reading. But these lost gospels were never lost. Uh, they're still around. Uh, very, very few of them we don't know much about. We know much about them, either because we found them or because people that didn't like them wrote so much about them that we know about them. It's kind of like Fight Club. I've never seen Fight Club, but I can quote whole sections and I know the entire story because of the people who talk about Fight Club. Got the idea? All right. These Bibles did not, these, uh, I'm sorry, these books that some considered just as good as the Bible or at least a helper to the Bible to fill in the gaps did not just go away because somebody said they wanted them gone or that they weren't in the Bible. There are indications that they were around all the way past the year 1000, widespread use as storybooks to help people draw closer to God, but they weren't Bibles. Some of the tales get woven in to our illustrations, to our ideas, and to our doctrines. And just like Mythbusters, sometimes we have to say confirmed. Sometimes we have to say possible, plausible, and other times we have to say no. And on the ones I've named today, no. We'll do more, not necessarily next week, 
but as they come up, as they come across them, as I hear them spoken again from another pulpit, we'll bring them up. Have a great week. We so much appreciate you and your love and support for our Safe Harbor Church. Thank you for loving Cammie and I. 